Let's, uh, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the opportunity to offer our gifts to you in the form of an offering. We know, Lord, that whatever we give our money to, we give life to. And so we ask, Holy Father, that you would bless the fruits of our labor, that you would multiply it for the uh, GEMS ministry as it leads the daughters of men to the women of the word. So, Holy Father, bless this effort and may it be to the glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name. This time this morning, we have the privilege of coming before the Lord in his word. And I'm reading from uh, John chapter 8, verses 8 to 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and will make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. When I originally was planning for this sermon, I meant to preach through that whole text, 
And then, as I was putting it all together, I remembered a long time ago in my first congregation in Winnipeg, after a service, one of the elders shook my hand at the back of the church, and he said, thank you, Pastor, that was two really good sermons. And I did get the message. So we're going to divide this into two pieces. This is part 15 of the Behold the Lamb series, but it's part one of greater works, and if the Lord is willing, we'll come back next week and we'll be dealing with the latter part of that text that Ron just read for us a few moments ago. But um, Linda and I had the opportunity earlier this week after Easter, which is always busy and kind of intense, to go up to Canmore and spend a couple of days just doing what we do, which involves drinking a lot of coffee and walking around looking in store windows for the most part. And while we were up there, I saw this T-shirt. Maybe some of you have seen this up there before. In case you can't read it, from where you're sitting, the upper image shows a couple of bears sitting at a table with a little boy in between them. And the caption is, let's eat, Bob, with a comma between eat and Bob. In the lower image, the boy, presumably Bob, is actually on the table between the bears, and the caption is, let's eat Bob, without the comma. And the conclusion at the bottom of the shirt is that commas save lives. I've seen this in different formats with sharks and T-Rexes and different things. Sometimes it says commas save lives. Sometimes it says punctuation saves lives. And it's a joke, but it makes a point. Individual words, when we speak them, have meaning. But when we start putting those words together into sentences and paragraphs, the meaning of the combined words can be dramatically different depending on the context or the punctuation, as in the case of let's eat Bob versus let's eat Bob. It just makes a difference how we speak, what we say. And of course, there's no punctuation in Greek. You've heard me say that before. But there is context. And context is every bit as important as punctuation, especially here at the very center of our text in John 14 this morning. Verses 12 and 13 read, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, if I were to simply stand up here and say, Jesus said in John 14, verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That would be true at some level. Jesus did say that, and it is recorded for us in John chapter 14, verse 13. But without the context, without the rest of this chapter, and in fact, without the whole gospel of John, it would be a terribly misleading statement. False, as a matter of fact. More so if I were to read it from a popular mistranslation of the New Testament, and I use that term mistranslation, very intentional. I tell you this this truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these, 
because I go to be with my Father, for I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask in my name. Leaving aside for the moment that there is no Greek word that should properly be translated as miracle. When you find the word miracle in the New International Version or the Net Bible or a couple of others, it's a translation of the Greek word dunamis, which just means power. And it gets translated miracle because in English we don't have kind of that form of the word power. Now, more accurate translations will render it mighty works or mighty deeds or something along those lines. But there's no Greek word that means miracle in the sense that we understand the word miracle in English. Now, just leaving that aside for a moment, what are we to do with that statement, I will do whatever you ask me to do? At this point, it's a tired cliche. I've said it so many times. But does that mean, and you'll sense maybe a sense of obsession on my part, but does that mean that I can get a Gulfstream G800, the longest-range personal jet in the world? Can I get that by just believing and asking God for it in Jesus' name? I suppose to avoid the appearance of greed, I could settle for a G650. It's not quite as fast and it won't go quite as far, but, you know. The sad thing here is that there are so-called leaders in the Word of Faith movement who have taught just that. Whatever you ask for, if you believe it and you ask for it in Jesus' name, you'll get it. And they offer as proof the fact that they personally own Gulfstream jets. But that's clearly not what Jesus was saying. He was not saying what is on the screen right now. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these. What would that even mean? What would that look like? That we who follow Jesus and believe in him can do even greater miracles than him. What would it look like, especially given that the first mighty work of Jesus described for us in the Gospel of John can be found in chapter 1, verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Is Jesus really telling us over in chapter 14 that if we just have enough faith and we ask in his name, then we too can create our own universe, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Maybe even a bigger, better universe than the one created by Jesus. I do recall someone, somewhere in Scripture, suggesting to a couple of human beings that they could be like God. And as I recall, it didn't turn out so well. The fact of the matter is, Jesus is God, and we are not. Period. So that's not what he's saying. And let's come back to the actual words of our text. When, when, when John, or Jesus, speaking in the Gospel of John, 
wants to refer to what we might think of as a miracle, changing water into wine or opening the ears of a deaf man or making an invalid walk. He uses the word sign, not the word miracle. And this is important because the word sign takes the emphasis off of the thing itself and puts the emphasis on what that act points to. So when Jesus changed water to wine back in John chapter 2, he didn't step back from this miracle and say, look what I did. That wasn't the point. As a matter of fact, he kept that one relatively secret. Only the 12 or those of the 12 who were there with him knew what had actually happened. And the scripture tells us that because they knew because they had seen this first of all the signs that Jesus did, they believed. And that's the point of a sign. Not to draw attention to itself, or even to draw attention to a person who has done that sign, but to draw attention to God. And in Jesus' case, to draw attention to Jesus Christ, who was and is the Son of God. That's why it's important that we use that word. Remember what Nicodemus said in chapter 3, verse 4 of the Gospel of John? He came to Jesus by night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Nicodemus wasn't quite there yet. He didn't say, we know that you are, in fact, God the Son, the Anointed One. He said, we know that you have come from God. But the reason he knew that was because he saw the signs that Jesus was doing, and he saw that those signs pointed to God. So it wasn't quite there yet, but he was on the right track. And here in John 14, our text this morning, Jesus doesn't even use the word for sign. Rather, he speaks of works. He uses a Greek word, ergon, and it comes up in the context of his conversation with Philip in verses 8 through 11. Philip said to him, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Now, probably, Philip was expecting something dr dramatic, something miraculous, something along the lines of what Moses experienced in Exodus 33 when he asked God, please show me your glory. And on that occasion, God replied to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, God said to Moses, you cannot see my face, for a man cannot see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. It was a remarkable moment in the ministry of Moses. When Moses used to come down that mountain, his face would glow in the reflected glory of God. And, and it was so distracting to the people when he would get up to speak to them, he had to cover himself with a veil so that they couldn't see that glory as it was fading away. And I think that's probably what Philip was hoping for, something like that. 
But the answer that he received ran in a completely different direction. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That's what Philip said, show us the Father, that will be enough. Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And so once again, as he has done so many times in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus reasserts his deity. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a good man. He is God the Son. Whoever has seen me has already seen the Father. But as God did with Moses, who not only saw but heard, Jesus moves on from whoever has seen me, has seen the Father, to the latter part of verse 10. And I want you to notice the parallel that Jesus drew here. The words that I say to you, Jesus is speaking The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. In that statement, what Jesus does is make clear that of all of the works, ergon, that he did, the signs were only a subset of that, a small part of it. And that even the words that he spoke were really a manifestation of the Father's working. So he's not saying you have words on the one hand and and miracles or signs on the other. If you don't believe the one, believe the other. He's setting them both side by side and together offering them up as proof that the Father was dwelling in him. John Calvin made this very point in his commentary writing this, this phrase, the Father does his works, must not be confined to miracles. For rather it is a continuation of the former statement that the majesty of God is clearly exhibited in Christ's doctrine, that is in his teaching, in his words as if he had said that his doctrine is truly a work of God, that is what he said, from which it may be known with certainty that God dwelleth in him. By the works, therefore, I understand a proof of the power of God. Earlier, Calvin had written, Jesus proves from the effect that we ought not to seek God anywhere else than in him, that is, in Jesus For he maintains that this doctrine, being heavenly and truly divine, is a proof and bright mirror of the presence of God. Even so, Jesus goes on in verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. That is, believe what I am saying to you right now, or else believe on account of the works themselves, because this is the point of both. The words of Christ and the deeds of Christ. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, eternal life, abundant life, all of the different expressions that Jesus uses in the Gospel of John. By believing you may have life in his name. The whole point of the Gospel 
is to present Christ, his words, his deeds, his interactions with his disciples, everything about him so that we can see the Father and then coming to God through faith in Christ find life in his name. And it's then and only then, having believed, having believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, which is to say being saved, having been born from above, just being a Christian. This promise that we're considering is not a promise for super-Christians who have kind of an extra measure of faith over and above others. It's a promise for all Christians, for all who are in Christ. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Jesus said, not signs, Simeon, works, ergon. And what specifically was the work of Christ? What was the purpose of everything in his life? He named it himself in his prayer in John 17, verses 4 to 8, when he said, I, Jesus, is talking here, glorified you, the Father, on earth, having accomplished the work, ergon, that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Notice especially, we'll come back to this next Sunday, Lord willing, how Jesus' whole work, his life's work, revolves around the glory of God. It's important because that's how we are meant to be as well. He went on to say, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. That's the work that he completed. I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know. <clears throat> that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, the words, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. See, the work that the Father gave Jesus to do was not to just show up and do amazing things that would have everybody saying, I've never seen anything like that before. The work that the Father gave Jesus to do was to manifest, to make clear God's name to the people of God, the people that God gave Jesus out of the world. And Jesus did this work by giving them the words that God gave to him. On some occasions he said, everything I say, I just say because the Father is working in me telling me to say that. Everything I do is just what the Father tells me to do. Why does he go to the pool of Bethesda where there's just this host of sick people gathered around waiting for the water to stir so that they can go in and be healed? And Jesus singles out one man in that whole crowd and he heals him, but not the rest. 
because that was the will of the Father. That was what God was telling him to do. That was how God wanted Jesus on that occasion to make clear his name to his people and to give them his word. So when Jesus said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, he is absolutely not saying he will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these. If he was, he either was mistaken or he was lying because that has never in the history of mankind ever happened. What he's saying is, as I have acted in obedience to all that the Father gave me to do, as I have proclaimed his word that his people might believe, even so the one who believes in me will do the same and even more so. As one commentator has written, when the Lord spoke of his followers performing greater works, he was referring to the extent of the spiritual miracle of salvation. Jesus never preached outside Palestine, yet his followers would spread the gospel throughout the whole world. Jesus had a very limited outreach to Gentiles, but the disciples, particularly Peter and Paul, would reach the Gentile world with the gospel. The number of believers in Christ would grow far beyond the mere hundreds that were present in Judea and Galilee when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and would grow to millions upon millions of people in just the first generation. That's the nature of the greater works that Jesus predicted his disciples would do. He preached for three years. Peter and John and James and the rest would preach for at least 30, some more than that. He preached the gospel to relatively small numbers, limited geographically to Galilee and Judea. They would take the gospel to the very ends of the earth. It wasn't about mighty miracles. It's not what we should be looking for. It's about evangelism, to be honest. That's the simplest way to put it. It wasn't about living the good life and having all the stuff that the world clambers after. It was about proclaiming the name, the word of God, to the people of God so that they might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, they, we, might have life in his name. That was the work that God gave the Son, Jesus Christ, to do. And it was the work that he committed to all who would believe and follow him. You might recall from our text last week, Easter, on the day of his resurrection, Jesus came to his disciples and he stood among them and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said again, Peace be with you. But it's the next line I want to call to your attention this morning. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In Matthew, we have the Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do everything that I have commanded you. Here in John, this is the Great Commission. As the Father sent me into the world to obediently and faithfully keep his word and accomplish his purpose, I am sending you. This is the greater work to which he called the original disciples, and it's the greater work to which he calls his church today. As the Father sent him, even so he is sending us. Not to do the mighty miracles that he did, but to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the greatest miracle of all can take place when an unregenerate, unbelieving person captured in their sin comes to life by the power of the Holy Spirit and believes in and receives Jesus Christ as Savior, acknowledging Him as Lord. I mentioned it earlier on in this series, raising the dead, raising Lazarus. What is that to the one who spoke, let there be light? And there was light, who made a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, and man became a living soul. What is it to just raise a corpse? Didn't cost Jesus anything. But what it cost to raise people who were dead in their trespasses and sins to life and salvation in him was his own body and blood given for us on the cross. That is the work of Christ that he calls us to carry on. It's a big task. It's a huge task. It's a huge calling. There's not one of us here, there's no one in the world who is up to that calling. They weren't then either. And that's why, verse 22, when he had said this, When he had said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Because it's only in the power of the Holy Spirit that we can ever hope to carry on the work that Christ has given us to do. And if he is willing, then we'll talk more about this next Sunday. But it's that. It's the anticipation of the coming of the Holy Spirit that made Jesus say, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. In John 16, verses 7 to 11, he put it this way, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is telling his disciples, it's for your good that I'm going to leave you and go away, because if I don't go away, the Helper will not come, the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go and pay careful attention, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. But look what his ministry is going to be. I will send the Spirit to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus said, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. 
But his ministry is not to you. His ministry is through you to the world, convicting them of sin and righteousness and judgment. So while we are not up to the task of this greater work, the Holy Spirit totally is. And through him, through his continuing presence in the people of God, the Lord will accomplish his purpose in the world. Jesus didn't say, I'm kind of hopeful that maybe some of you somewhere, sometime, will be able to do greater things. He just said, the one who believes will do. One author has written, when you realize that when Jesus left this scene, committing his gospel to a little group of 11 men in order that they might carry it to the ends of the earth, at that time, the whole world, with the exception of a few in Israel, was lost in the darkness of heathenism. But in 300 years, Christianity closed nearly all the temples of the Roman Empire and numbered its converts by millions. These were the greater works. And down through the centuries, down to this very day, he still carries on this ministry. As Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Let's pray. Speak, Lord, by your word and spirit, and give us ears to hear what you are saying to the church that encouraged at the reality of the Holy Spirit's presence within us, we may be ready to go out and do the works that you have given us to do, carrying on that great work of salvation given to you by the Father, when at just the right time he sent you into this world, born of a woman, born under the law, that you might redeem us from the curse of the law. Father, help us to take the word, and Lord, let it grow in our hearts this morning, that Father, it may bear fruit to eternal life in ourselves and in all those to whom you give us the privilege of speaking it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.